Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, yet ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. We have been talking in the past few weeks about issues of public outreach and the communication of the archaeological message to the greater public, which becomes increasingly more significant as traditional sources of funding dry up and our dependence, certainly in North America and across much of the world, is reliant upon public sources and more significantly in, in the domain of extending our message to, to people out in the greater world and communicating what we do in the sense that it is not esoteria and is not a something beyond the understanding of a lot of people. Archaeology can be a very sophisticated topic, very science oriented, and folks who are brought up and raised and oriented in that direction uh, as a career sort of tend to speak amongst each other in these terms that are very often confusing, even though our topic and subject matter is very, very appealing at the ground roots level. And we've talked about this extensively, and uh, there are efforts being made across the country and across the world, really, in trying to transmit the message of archaeology and to bring it down to basics and to communicate it in a meaningful and informative way to the greater public because we need the public now more than effort, more than ever, excuse me. And towards that end, uh, I would like to focus on this program on one particularly unique and successful effort in the state of Texas that has been done by a, uh, a special individual named Dr. Steve Black of Texas State University. And he, the program that he has designed is called Texas Beyond History, and it's a virtual museum of Texas's cultural heritage. And what Steve has done here, I think, has, has been tried to, trying to weave together the information age and and the Era that we're launching into with social networking and Facebook and, and, and social media and trying to use those vehicles, the Internet, of course, being, being the most prominent, to, to convey the message of archaeology to the general public and, and to make our message both interesting, dynamic, and ultimately something that will be self-sustaining. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome you, Steve, to the program. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate the effort. Uh, Steve, tell us a little bit about Texas Beyond History. What is it and how did you get started with it? Well, we began it in the year about in 2000, and it came about because of many different people wanting to figure out a way that how could we communicate with the, with the public and share what we've learned about the cultural history of the state and the cultural heritage. And, you know, we, I'd spent much of my career doing what's called cultural resource management and commercial archaeology. And I'd spent, I'd learned more and more about sometimes less and less. And much of the things that I put down on paper in technical reports, only a few people ever got to read. And 
my colleagues and I decided we ought to do something about it and grasp upon the the web as a way of reaching a wide audience. So you were caught up in this situation where you understood pretty early on that the types of money that were largely being funded by the public was really not getting out there in terms of of, of the product that was actually presented, which is not to say that the product uh, specifically archaeological excavation, traditional reporting of archaeological excavations, that message was probably in too obscure a language and, and too uh, uh, minutely circulated, if, I, if you will, to, to, to be meaningful and to basically return on, uh, to, on the investment of what, what people are actually paying into it because these funds are, are, are publicly accumulated. And so you felt that it was necessary to sort of give back in a way that people could understand. Is that correct? That's exactly right. And said differently, I got tired of, well, I wanted to have, to have my voice, but not me personally, but the voice of my colleagues and I heard what we learned that was meaningful and interesting to share that with the public and the public who indirectly or directly fund our research. What kind of feedback were you getting from people in the beginning that got you to do this? I mean, obviously, you must have been hearing things or, or you, were, you were discussing this with, with people in Texas and beyond, clearly, that were saying, okay, you know, it's time to move up. It's, it, it's time to transmit the message. How did that, how did that start? How did you uh, – I mean, you're, you're a Harvard-educated guy. You got your Ph.D. out of Harvard. And did you start working in Texas, and did you just sort of work in, in CRM, cultural resource management, for a long time before, before you actually got this, uh, this notion that this is what had to be done? Well, yes. I, I was uh, raised in Austin, Texas, and worked for many years for the University of Texas at San Antonio. Um, Gwen went off, got my Ph.D., and came back to Texas and started working at the University of Texas, at the Texas Archaeological Research Lab there. And at, at, at my, in my university experiences, I had been doing contract archaeology, commercial archaeology. But we at the university were much more interested in the research part of it than in the business part of it, and so we, uh, my lab, the Texas Archaeological Research Lab, where I was working uh, in the 90s and, and 2000s, um, got out of the business of archaeology, and it suddenly gave me the opportunity to pretty much do what I wanted as long as we could figure out how to get it funded, which was really difficult, and put the message out. Uh, we, I had, uh, several of my colleagues and I had become had formed a little nonprofit called um, Texas Alliance for Public Archaeology. And the statewide organization, the Texas Archaeological Society, had tried to launch a public magazine, and I was in charge of doing the research for it, finding out it was it feasible. And what we realized is we would never be able to be commercially successful as a magazine. And at the time, trying to talk the, the society into going to the Internet, this was in the late 90s, we're, most of them weren't ready for it yet. And so when our lab got out of the, the archaeology business, um, we, we, we jumped at the opportunity to take this on. Now, now, why did the lab got out of the archaeology business? I mean, I remember this lab for years. I mean, in the 70s and 80s, it was, it was pretty a ma- pretty major center for archaeological research. What happened there was it, it was still the is. 
But okay. we, what we did was, we, and, I, and I use the word business, I mean we got out of the commercial sector and we, we, and we focused on research and on the, the wonderful archives and the collections were the central repository for archaeological collections and, and data in the state of Texas. And so we, but we, again, we were not a museum, so we, how would we share what all had been learned and what we would amass, the thousands and hundreds of thousands of things, how could we share those with the world? And we realized that the web gave us that opportunity and we could create exhibits, if you will, and share what we learned, what our many colleagues had learned with uh, so many more people than we wouldn't been able to figure out any other way to do. So you're working at the lab, and the lab obviously had huge collections, correct, as well as archived reports and, and cultural resources reports and articles and, 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 yeah, and field notes. And, and probably lots of records that were unconsolidated from excavations in, in the 30s and 40s, et cetera, correct? From the WPA and other organizations, yes, indeed. Right. So then how do you start this? I mean, how do you figure out, do we, do we start looking at collections? Do we look at field reports? Do we assemble the, 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 the research itself? How do we bring all this material together? And how do you make the connection between the Internet interface and the actual uh, material cultural information that you have available at your disposal? How do you do that? How did you do that? I'm sure it was a long, evolving process. Walk me through that, if you would. Well, we had the advantage of naivete. We had no idea what we were really getting into. If we had, I'm not sure we would have gone forward with it. So right. We set out, so the way we thought of it, and it wasn't me, it was myself and Susan Dial, um, who's also an archaeologist, but she had the advantage of having a background in journalism, and she specialized more in the historic era, and she also had experience in education. So between the two of us, we thought, how would we present this? And we were able to get an undergraduate student who was web savvy, and she also had a, an eye for design. And so we, we created a map of Texas, and we started telling stories about archaeological and historic sites and put the, those places, literally pins on the map, if you will, and so you can click on a pin and go to that place. So we picked out some of the, uh, the sites and the collections that, that our lab had, uh, we knew a lot about, and we had interesting stories to tell, and we started with those. And then over the years, we slowly expanded it. We realized we've come up with new strategies. Um, from day one, we always realized that we were not communicating with one, one entity, but with many different elements of the public, not just the general public, just the general public, uh, um, my, our professional colleagues as well, students of archaeology at, a, at, a, at the college level, and importantly, public school teachers, teachers and the children. And so we, the web allowed us to create different layers of information, different sections of the website where we could focus and present it in different ways. For example, most people will see and go through the site exhibits, and it's got text and imagery, um, but it's in a kind of a traditional format. Um, you can follow along a narrative and see the narrative both visually, which is something that we didn't quite immediately snap to, and through words, which we were fairly good at. 
but for children, they're 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 bored with most of this, and a lot of it is written at an, at an inappropriate level for them. And so we created fun activities. We used a lot more color and movement in that section of the website to make it relevant to teachers. We created um, state based, using state standards. We created lesson plans that teachers could easily download, and they could use the what we had on the web and let the children go through, oh, examples like how many ways can you use a bison? And there would be a picture of a bison, and children could click on different sections of the bison, and it would tell them what they were used for. Naturally, they're fun, and you knew they were going to do this. They're going to grab the tail, and the tail lifts up and out flops you-know-what. And so then it explained that dung was oftentimes used, especially on the Great Plains where the bison were concentrated, as a fuel source because wood was fairly scarce when you're up on the Great Plains. Um, and so through these different strategies, um, we, we were able to follow different interests and highlight different things that archaeologists and historians had learned about Texas vast 13,000 and more years of, of over 500 human generations, and it, it seems most people can't can't wrap their minds around that. And so we we wanted to tell the story and and, and creative pieces. I I think if if anybody's actually listening and is in front of a computer, I would urge you to go on the website right now. It's really pretty magnificent. The uh, the URL for this is www.texasbeyondhistoryoneword.net, and what you come to as as the homepage launches is uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve. You you have sort of a physiographic map of of Texas showing, uh, which is really one of the most diverse states in the in the country showing the physiography of the state, the, the various vegetation and, and, and essentially topographic and geological zones. And there's a distribution of, of some of the major sites, and each one is signified by a dot. And as you move your cursor from one dot to the other, you sort of go to the key elements of each particular location uh, so that, for example, if you're going to a major prehistoric site, which Steve referred to, as far as as our contemporary chronologies are concerned, go back to about 13,500 years ago. And you see a timeline of what that site represents and some of the interesting mapping associated with that site, and then you sort of move it on uh, and go west, and you, you see uh, different types and different time periods associated with the various geological zones. Did that uh, extremely informative model... Uh, emerge relatively recently, or is that how you had it designed first, or how did that, that come about? That's how we originally had it designed. We, we built on the idea of visualizing the state, and we thought that people would probably be most interested in where they lived or where they wanted to go, and right. click, click on a place there and read about it. Or, and then as we went along, we, we, had to, we realized we had to create uh, special exhibits, like we did a fantastic one on the history of the Caddo peoples um, of, of northeast Texas and the adjacent states of areas of Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana. And we pulled together a big, what we called an exhibit set, or the equivalent of essentially walking into a wing of a museum, and you can follow the story of the Caddo, not just from our voices as archaeologists, but we, we use the voices of the Caddo people. Caddo historian Cecile Carter wrote a section called Caddo Voices, 
We, we featured the pottery of both ancient Caddo and modern Caddo. Uh, one of the famous Caddo potters today is Jerry Redcorn. Um, some of her work is in the White House. And so we were, we were trying to make the connection between the past, the ancient past, and the present. Caddo peoples are still very much alive and living today, and they are aware of their cultural heritage in, in, through their own stories and, and, and as well as the archaeological legacy. And they share our concern with, with trying to preserve that legacy and learn from it when, when it can't be avoided in construction, for instance. It's just magnificent. I, I was sort of describing how you navigate the homepage, and then when you double-click on, on one particular location, you get a magnificent, beautifully illustrated uh, presentation of a particular location or a particular site. Uh, I'm a prehistoric person, a geoarchaeologist, so I gravitated towards Lubbock Lake, and, and I see basically a very, very synoptic uh, presentation of the sequence at Lubbock Lake and the evolution of the finding of the site and what it, what it signifies. And it, it just, it's, it's, it's more than a nutshell, but, but very digestible presentation of what's going on. So I assume that these points are enhanced and, and uh, perfected with time, correct? You're adding more points all the time. And, exactly. and you're, you're, yeah, and you're, and you're, you're developing them. It's, it's, is this a protocol or a format that is based on anything that you've seen before? Are there analogous sites on the web? Are there other states that are doing this sort of thing? What can you tell me about that? As far as I know, we still are unique in what we've done, and we didn't have any models to follow, and so we just kind of, I won't say stumbled upon it, but we, we, we had a vision. Of, of what we wanted to communicate, because we knew that we, in our own projects we'd been involved in, some really fascinating things had been learned. We'd learned about people 7,000 years ago, for example, um, in the lower Pecos Canyon lands in southwest Texas, and work done there by Texas A&M University at a, a site called Heinz Cave. And really fabulously interesting things had been learned there, but even few of our colleagues, relatively speaking, knew some of this information because some of it hadn't been published. And so I work with a couple of professors at A&M, Dr. Harry Schaefer and Dr. Vaughn Bryant, um, who had led the research in the 70s, and their students have been publishing on it for decades. And so we pulled together a, a really a synthesis of the work that was done there, um, and it was really a stimulating thing for me to be involved in. So when you're doing these, you're referring to the actual specific sites. Now, do you actually approach the individuals who have worked on the sites to give you the summary, or do you uh, take the published material itself and work on it yourself? How do you assemble that? We've done it interview? both ways. Originally, when we first started uh, in 2000, um, we, Susan and I wrote the pieces based on what was published sources based on what we had in our archives at Toro. Um, but as we went along, we worked with colleagues all across the state and beyond. And at, sometimes Susan and I, well, Susan and I take the lead as, as editors putting it together. But um, some, of our, some of our colleagues have, have written most of the text, and we work with them to write it in a, an approachable way. And some of our colleagues are, are, are also really excellent at that. Some of them uh, need a little... Um, uh, translation, but our goal is to work with 
our colleagues to put something that that we're all happy with, and we've we've really had a lot uh, a lot of success. We've worked with something like 125 different archaeologists, historians, geologists, um, paleobotanists, and to create these exhibits. And um, we couldn't have done it if just on our own. We 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 it's a really highly collaborative project. And so you're involving. Uh, do you have a team working with you, or I mean, uh, do you, you sort of a, like I said, obviously you're getting input from some of the people themselves, but do you do you use a team approach, or how do you do that? Well, let's see. Um, hmm. For well, while we built most of it, it was Susan and I were the only full time people, and to to be able to do it, we could only pay ourselves half time for a number of years. Um, but we had a half time web person and. Several times I would have student interns from the University of Texas, and the team was the few of us who who had were paid to do this, working with whoever we could twist their arm to do uh, to work with us. And so they would send us materials. We would visit the sites with them, um, which was a lot of fun for me. Um, and you know, an archaeologist in our career, we don't get to work everywhere. Um, and so I knew a lot about South and Central Texas, but there were many other areas of the state that I didn't know beans about. And so this gave me the opportunity to work with the leading colleagues, researchers that have been worked in the Panhandle, for example, or along the Texas coast. And in both cases, I had opportunities to go and visit them in the field and learn a lot about what they had, what they put together over decades of research, and help work with them to tell the story or tell many stories. We'll come back with Steve Black on the Texas Beyond History Virtual Virtual Museum of Texas Heritage Project after these messages. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Professionals and families who are dealing with autism face challenges that can lead to many questions. Questions about how to understand, communicate, and support each other. Every week, Autism Today with host Dr. Patrick J. Rydell will focus on dealing with the diagnosis and the day-to-day challenges of autism spectrum disorders. Dr. Rydell will combine his 30 years of experience along with featured guests from the ASD field to provide their insights and answers to your questions. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Want to hear about what's going on in the world of fashion, beauty, gossip, and politics? Then you'll want to tune in every Wednesday to the Voice America Variety Channel. Face Forward with entrepreneur and beauty consultant Sarah McNamara is honest talk, great guests, and a cool vibe with a lot of fun. Sarah and her guy Friday Anthony will turn you on to what's hot and what's not. This is a radio show custom made for you. Tune in to Face Forward Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the East, 11 a.m. in the West on Voice America Variety. Come back to your senses. Imagine a radio show that will help you recover your common sense. Host Leah Brenda Smith is a health and wellness specialist who will explain techniques designed to help you recover from the stress of your life. It's all about how you respond to your thoughts. A little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in helping you to relax and enjoy your life. 
Tune in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio, live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra goarc.com. Now, back to the program. Good afternoon. We're back. This is Joe Schuldenrein uh, with our uh, program, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. And speaking of 21st Century Archaeology, we are getting into a program and a, and a website that has been developed by Dr. Steve Black at Texas State University, which is basically a virtual museum of te- Texas cultural heritage. And it is specifically this incredibly informative and elaborate uh, website uh, called Texas Beyond History. The URL is www.texasbeyondhistoryoneword.net. And Steve is, is telling us basically how this site is emerging and extending to inform people across the state of Texas and well beyond on uh, advances in archaeology and and uh, giving us summaries of specific sites and and historic monuments and uh, archaeological sites that relate to the history of Texas and provide an explanation of what that history is in terms and concepts that are interpretable to individuals from all levels so that this is really the ultimate uh, virtual reality, if you will, of archaeology and an extremely informative outlet for understanding archaeology. Steve, we were talking at the break at the extent and the influence of this site. How many hits do you have on this site? Well, we, we, we get about 5,000 unique visitors every day. And we've done, we tried to figure out where they're coming from. And shockingly to me, we we have people coming from something like 125 different countries, and wow. that's been, that's been strange to me. I think most of our viewers are from Texas, but I, I know that my some of my professional colleagues across the country find it useful when they're teaching courses in North America. And uh, so our one one thing that I'm proud of is that on many web pages you go and you see small thumbnail images, and you can't really see the detail. Almost mm-hmm. all of our images, you click on them, and it opens up into a full page size. So you can see the detail, and that really does, you know, a picture conveys a thousand words, as they sometimes say, uh, and it sometimes works that way. And you have a little snippet when you just sort of navigate through the points, which right. are the, the locations on the map, and then when you double-click on it, then you get a very, very lovely but synoptic uh, summary of, of what's going on in, in each particular site. Um, what kind of feedback are you getting from, from the public, from teachers, from children, from uh, professionals, from public relations people who are working with museums? Are you, what kind of feedback and information and positive contributions are you getting from those folks? Well, we, we've, over the years, we've gotten a heck of a lot of 
very positive responses. Um, in fact, we've we've had almost no complaints. Somebody occasionally will tell us we got some fact wrong, and we check into it and 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 are able to correct it. Um, but school teachers in Texas, archaeology is covered in in Texas history, which is taught in the fourth and the seventh grades. And so, uh, many teachers have told us they don't know how. The, how they taught Texas history, or at least the archaeological era of it, without the website before. And so I've also had lots of fun going to things like um, public exhibit days or public education day, uh, museum days, or the Texas, Arche uh, Texas Archaeological Awareness Month events. And I've really had fun interacting with people, you know, just coming to these events, not knowing much about archaeology, and some of them are already aware of the website, or when I, we show it to them, they, they say, wow, I've been looking for something like this. What um, about for uh, – the kids' page is absolutely wonderful. Uh, did you get any input from teachers and, and from children well, even? said differently, from day one, we work with teachers to create them. And so it was – and many of my colleagues – I shouldn't say it quite this way, but I will uh, – I've observed that many other archaeologists have created what they thought teachers wanted in, the, in terms of lesson plans, and we took the opposite approach. We came to, to teachers, and we asked them what they wanted in text to, in the, to teach in their classes, what would work with their students. And so most of our um, lesson plans were, were developed by professional educators. We working with them, and we, sh we would tell them what what particular sites we were going to focus on, and then we, we would you know, tell them what we thought were some of the common themes, and then they would work with it to create um, the exhibit, the, the, the teacher portions of it and the kids' parts of it. We had a, a, a wonderful uh, public uh, education editor, um, Carol Schlink, who, who really had, she had taught Texas history for 25 years, and she was able to bring a tremendous amount of energy and insight into putting together these things. She also helped us publicize it to teachers and through uh, teacher conferences, through the uh, social studies um, magazine that goes out in, in Texas. And so we, we, it's really been rewarding for us um, to, to uh, the, uh, the amount of and, and the strange directions we get feedback from. So you're getting feedback from a variety of different sources. And the, I assume that the, the site is constantly being upgraded and enhanced and sites are being added and you're getting more feedback all the time. How much of your work week do you devote to this? Well, I must tell you that to these days I can devote very little to it because I'm um, trying to become a successful professor. So my days these days are focused mostly on teaching and, and research, publishing it in conventional ways. Right. And, um, Susan is continuing to work on the website and keep it going and expanding. We, for our first eight years or so, both of us were working at it full time, and now we're 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 building at a slower level, um, but we're continuing to add to it uh, when opportunity allows. One thing I was going to mention, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, uh, is that one of the things that we've been able to successfully do is get our colleagues in the in the CRM world um, to. Many of them have the responsibility of having public outreach components. And so we work with private firms and with um, state agencies and national, uh, and, uh, national agencies, um, federal agencies, 
to create exhibits based on work that they've done. And so we've been able to help them tell the story and reach a much wider audience than the conventional ways we've done uh, public outreach. Uh, open house day, you know, where you invite people to the site. Um, public pamphlets, you know, or brochures, which can be really good things, but you only reach a small audience. And it, it, and it doesn't last beyond when you create those. A, bro- a brochure might, but a, p- a public talk, for example, you, you know, I remember being in Kerrville, Texas, which is north of San Antonio, and there were 25 people in the audience for my public talk. I thought I'd done a great job. My wife was with me. We were on our way back home, and I nudged her and said, Well, Mary, how did you think that talk went? <laughs> she kind of paused, and she said, Well, Steve, I don't think most people care as much about rocks as you do. And, and that kind of <laughs> gave that, – that helped me learn that um, – I had to explain the context of the rocks that I was studying a heck of a lot better to make 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 people interested to 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 allow people to understand why these rocks were important and why we might learn something from them. And and that brings me to another question. I mean, to me it seems that that at least some element of public outreach really has to infiltrate, if, if you want to use that word, into higher education. I mean, we have to start teaching students and, and even future professors that spreading the word of archaeology is as important, if not even more so, as, as doing the research itself. And how, how do we incorporate the virtual Texas history model into a significant portion of the undergraduate and even the graduate curriculum so that future archaeologists will understand that a major task that's incumbent upon them to perform is to transmit this message of archaeology uh, not just to their colleagues but, but to the greater public. I mean, ultimately, we are dependent on the greater public more and more for funding, and we have to get it. How do we do that? How do we incorporate this into the model of the liberal arts education system? How do we do that? Can we do that? Boy, you're asking a mighty tough question. Um, I know, we, but we've you're the guy who... We try yeah. to lead by example. In other words, instead of lecturing to people of, of how it should be done, we've just tried to do our best to do it in an interesting way, and we've hoped that others might see it and, and use it as an example, uh, as a model. Um, I've not seen as much evidence of that as I would have liked. Um, back to your question of integrating it in university setting. Well, in Texas, we really don't have a good textbook on Texas, uh, on, the, on the prehistory of Texas. Or said differently, our, our textbook is the website. And so I teach a Texas archaeology class every year, and, and several of my colleagues do in other universities. And we all end up using the website as a major source because the students can see, can see the images and see the, all of our exhibits have references to published sources. And so some of them have articles that you can download in PDF form. And so through this, I know that many students, university students, really grasp and enjoy and learn from the website. And I've had a number of them come to me and ask how they could become involved. And I'm hoping that as time goes on that we will have the wherewithal to, to involve more people and to, to grow it at an even faster rate than we do can today. 
Well, you're, 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 you're dealing with a generation of students coming in, graduates and, I mean, undergrads and even graduate students who have grown up with the Internet at this point. And so they're very fluid with it. And I would imagine that they might also have some creative design aspects that they can bring up and incorporate into the site and contribute, especially once they understand uh, archaeology on the fundamental level. And, and these, are, these are kids who are... Uh, brought up in, in in this pedagogic model to some degree, and they could probably give you some ideas on, on what might work as, as a tool for enhancing the website. I would think that you might even want to do a class with that and get a seminar with some kids, with some call them kids, but undergraduates who might have some interesting ideas on sort of expanding the site and making it even u- more user-friendly to, to uh, younger children and to teachers and, and, and to communities at large. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, Joe, I would like to design that course and 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 at Texas State where I where I teach, and uh, if I can get tenure in a couple of years, that's one of the <laughs> things that I'll be able to focus on. Um, w- one of the things we haven't done for the website is it's not interactive in the sense that people can't go and make comments on it, and we it's not really social networking on the, on tied into that level that people are so familiar with, um, and that's something that we hope we can. Uh, gain the wherewithal to be able to expand it in that way because I, I'm, people love interacting with others in a more dynamic way than just reading our message and going and clicking around the website fine and dandy but they also want to contribute and share ideas and thus far we've not not had the ability to do that now your own particular research is 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 obviously in Texas as well, correct? Do you have uh, your site on here, or do you have any of your research area on on the website as well, or no? Well, curiously, um, as I was doing this, I prepared several exhibits in what I call the Lower Pecos Canyonlands, Southwest uh-huh. Texas, uh, near Del Rio, Texas, where okay. the Devil's River and the Lower Pecos come into the Rio Grande. It's a fabulous area of archaeology because it has dry caves and spectacular rock art that we now know dates back three or 4,000 years. And right. we, we've been able... So by doing the exhibits, I learned a lot more about the area. And so when the op- job opportunity came up at Texas State University for someone specializing in Texas archaeology as a university professor, I grasped it in part because I'd learned how much more needed to be done in the area, and I realized that working in San Marcos, Texas... I, as a professor, I would have the opportunity to bring students. Uh, sure. As, uh, right now, I'm here uh, in Comstock, Texas, um, and I have a group of 12 undergraduate and graduate students who are working with me on uh, earth ovens, where places where people three to 5,000 years ago and before and after were baking plants like agave lechuguilla, and we're out doing archaeology, uh, I left the field early to be able to come and, and talk today. So you're actually able to start integrating it and convey the message and, and move in that direction, which is really nice. Um, have you had any interest from uh, teachers or web designers or archaeologists who are sort of branching into public outreach on your site from any other states, or has that not developed yet, or are you trying to move in that direction, or can you do it? What's going on with that? Well, um, I, one, uh, an archaeologist from South Carolina, proposed, he was using Texas Beyond History as a model, and he tried to put together a similar model for 
uh, South Carolina. And when he found out how much money it would take, it was uh, it was difficult to achieve. Now, for us, we raised the money little bit by little bit through small grants, through donations. We had a uh, grant from the National Endowment for Humanities, uh, from uh, National Park Service, from Texas uh, Parks and Wildlife. Each one contributed little bits and pieces, and we put together this package over 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 eight or now twelve years. So this is a long-term operation. I mean, this is this is a long-term investment. But it seems it seems as if you've already got sort of the building blocks for website construction pretty much in place, so that you could sort of guide along other uh, interested parties or. Uh, state offices and uh, and groups who are interested in in um, not mimicking but certainly moving along the same kind of instructional pathway that you are, you could probably help them and uh, give them some tips on how to make it uh, site construction more efficient. I would think that that uh, that would be something that most archaeologists would be really interested, especially in state pre- historic preservation offices. You would think that this is a natural wedding, shall we say, between the State Historic Preservation Office and the community at large, and uh, this is this should be done for every state, wouldn't you think? I would think so. I would think something like this would, would work anywhere. Um, frankly, we've been disappointed to see that uh, there haven't been more attempts like this, um, and I, I'm perplexed as to why not. Well, let me, let me say I really understand part of why not. This takes vision and fairly uh, uh, the freedom to be able to create something like this. I can imagine in through most preservation groups and historic preservation offices, when you would try to create something like this through a committee type, I, I, I think it would be pretty hard to do. Um, we were lucky and, and had the opportunity uh, and the setting to be able to do it. Um, I'm sure yeah, other I, such settings I would think exist, so. I'm sure other such settings exist. I know they do, but um, it it takes a real commitment to be able to create something like this. Right. You know what I think might be helpful, Steve, and and this is just sort of a a recommendation that that I think might be very nice, is is for you to sort of put together, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but put together a little how-to guide, how you did this, how you put it together, and give people ideas on on various milestones in the development of the site and the funding agencies that you approached and and where you went for it. Because it seems seems to me like you are learning on the run here, but based on what you've been able to succeed at, it it would seem that you might be able to really inform SHPOs and uh, certainly in in many of the western states and here as well in the the northeast and anywhere on how to do this. I mean, it just seems like such a beneficial thing to do. Uh, I, I would encourage it. I mean, this is this is marvelous, and I think it's it's the ultimate in, in the outreach message, if you will, the, the the ability to interface with with contemporary uh, media and 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 just make this so user friendly and extending across a wide range of potential audiences. So I would encourage you to do this. This is a magnificent achievement. It really is. I appreciate the encouragement, Joe, and I hope to be able to do so. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's really good. Uh, very briefly as, as we close up here, uh, what were the, some of the most inspirational sites and, and, uh, how did you, how did you plot them and, and how did you accumulate the, the data? Was it the prehistoric stuff? Was it the historic sites? Uh, Alamo comes to mind, obviously, uh, when you're talking about Texas. What were the, what were the sort of more, more challenging sites to put together here on this, uh, on this lovely map? I have to tell you that pretty much everyone that I, usually either Susan or I will serve as the lead editor. and She's taken the lead on most of the historic exhibits, although not all of them. And I take the lead on most of the prehistoric exhibits, although she shared in that as well. And each and every one of those projects were, were fascinating and allowed us to learn so much about a place that we didn't know. So um, I, I, uh, putting together Heinz Cave and the, and the Lower Pecos was a tremendous amount of fun. I, I really enjoyed working with Dr. Bob Rickless and putting together an exhibit on Mitchell Ridge, which was a prehistoric cemetery, a subject which gets into very touchy waters. But um, Bob had really learned a a lot about the people on Galveston Island um, a thousand years ago, and I, I really enjoyed working with Bob to tell the story. I think that this, again, is a major achievement. I, I would encourage everybody to look at this website that is incredibly informative. Again, it's www.texasbeyondhistory.net. We will be making reference to this site as as we continue uh, to produce a few episodes on public outreach as interspersed in, in some of our other programs. And I want to thank you very much, Steve, for uh, sharing your experience here in designing this site and providing us with some of the feedback and some guidelines on how to move along with transmitting this message to the public. Uh, Thanks so much for participating. And on that note, we're going to have to sign off until next week. And uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Okay, Steve, thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.